Welcome to Query, where we provide simple answers to your tech questions. My name is Micah Sargent, and of course, I am joined by my co-host, Stephen Hackett. How are you doing, Stephen? Hey, Micah. I'm doing well. It's a, it's a holiday week here in the U.S., so you know, got some time off coming up and looking forward to, to that. But for now, I'm, I'm excited to be here with you to talk about talk about stuff. Yeah, Thanksgiving is uh, my favorite holiday. And I, I really enjoy getting together with the family and they're not being all the pressure of like, presents and gifting and all those kinds of things. And you just mm-hmm. spend time with the family. So it's a it's a good time. Uh, but until we get there, uh, I thought we'd start with some home kit follow up that has taken right. place. So, you know, we talked before about <laughs> this ridiculous <laughs> thing where we thought that it makes sense for garage doors to have location based reminders. Uh, Alan had, had written in to ask, Hey, can I make it so that when I leave my house, if I leave my garage door open, I can be notified that I've left my garage door open? And I remember you saying, like, um, I just expected that was a thing because it would make sense for it to be a thing. Uh, Unfortunately, it's not. And I came up with a couple sort of odd ideas for it. Um, But a listener, uh, Jared wrote in to talk about the smart things platform. So smart things is it's interesting because it's sort of there's Z wave and, and Zigbee and Z wave are the two. And yeah. <laughs> can we, those names, like <laughs> they're so why similar. Why do I start with Z? Why do they sound the same? <laughs> <laughs> I, it's, it's very confusing. And they both have like, it's one of those things where they have a lot that are similar and like very few things that are different between the two. And it's complicated, but Zigbee and Z-Wave are kind of like these big ideas of how devices can communicate and Wi-Fi and Bluetooth sort of fit in there too. And then there are. Uh, sort of buckets into which you can stuff these smart home things. And so they can communicate using, uh, for example, HomeKit is one platform that you can use to communicate with a bunch of different devices, regardless of whether they're Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or something else. Well, Samsung's SmartThings platform sort of fits into this as well, because it allows you to communicate with a bunch of different devices using the SmartThings platform. But the confusing thing is Samsung also has sensors and devices of its own that are part of the SmartThings platform. So it's all very messy, folks. It's, it's, uh, it's it's a messy world uh, of home automation, but Jared writes that uh, the SmartThings platform has some options for garage doors, and it allows him to like when when he leaves the house, the SmartThings notification says, "Hey, Jared left home, and the garage door is already closed." So presumably, he could say it would say, "Jared left home, the garage door is open." And then he could then, you know, go into the correct app or whatever and hit the button to turn it off or rather to close down the garage door. I'm thinking of garage doors and on and off (laughs) settings, and that's not how they work. (laughs) That's close. (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And and the same goes for his wife. Uh, When either of them get home or leave, then it will say, hey, the garage door is already closed or, Hey, the garage door is open. Um, so that's, that's a handy thing where 
regardless of if you know who's leaving or who's arriving in the house, there is the option there to see, oh dear, uh, that garage door is still open. I forgot to hit the button as I was leaving. And so I can go in and, and change it. Um, for me, what ends up happening is I get uh, worried that I left the garage door open. So I just open up the home app and then it says, the garage door is closed, you dork. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I know I closed it. I just forgot that I closed it. I had to make sure I closed it. Uh, but in the event that it was open, then I could from wherever I was go ahead and make sure that garage door is closed. So thank you to Jared for pointing out that uh, the Smart Things platform does allow that. And just something to be aware of there is that if you use the SmartThings platform, then you're going to want to make sure that whatever garage door you're using is compatible with SmartThings. And uh, in this case, it seems that um, his garage door opener does work with the SmartThings platform. Yeah, it's a platform I, I don't have actually any firsthand experience with. And I'm, when you were talking, I was kind of like perusing through their website and it seems like a, a, a pretty robust ecosystem and, you know, it, it works with a lot of things that you know, most of these products work with all of them, right? Like HomeKit, Amazon Echo, voice assistant person, and this. And so, you know, there are always going to be things that only work with two of the three. And sometimes HomeKit is sort of the, the odd platform out. But yeah, I would say if you were if you have no smart home stuff now and you want to start looking at them, like this is one that should be on your list uh, as a platform to look at beyond just HomeKit and and the echo. So mm-hmm. you, there's, we get back to this on the show. Smart home stuff is just messy and it's complicated. Yes. But if you, if you pick or if you pick devices that are sort of platform agnostic, then you can, you can sort of mix and match a little bit better. But yeah, cause it's uh, sort of like they, there were some that existed as just communication options in the beginning. And then people started saying, Hey, we need to make it so that you can, control all of these things under one sort of home. And that's where, you know, we've got this home kit thing coming along. We've got smart things. And uh, what is it? The, oh goodness, there's like, a, there's a hub uh, from another company. And then the name escapes me at the moment, but it, you know, companies were like, okay, let's try to make everything available under one mm-hmm. roof. And so that's, what's made it messy because you kind of have to wonder, uh, or you have to ask yourself, is this a communication protocol or is this a platform that lets me control all of these devices? And that's that's where things kind of get a little confusing. And then depending on the device itself, like Philips Hue, their goal is to work with as many things as possible. And that's why you can just buy a certain Echo and be able to control those uh, those bulbs independently of the Hue app or some other thing. So it's, yeah, it's very messy. And, uh, I often, you know, have to start there whenever folks are wondering, Oh, how do I get going? My, my advice is personally because I use iOS is to get something that works with HomeKit because chances are very, very, very high that if it works with Apple's HomeKit platform, it's also going to work with the Amazon uh, Echo and potentially several other things because it's kind of like that's the most difficult one to offer integrations with. So once they've gone that far, they're going to check all the other boxes as well. I think that's that's totally right. All right, we had a question from Matthew uh, that I wanted to get into because it's a it's a question that leads to a larger topic. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Matthew writes, I have an iPad Pro dongle question. I've read that an iPad Pro cannot use its USB-C connector with Thunderbolt displays. Can you use a USB-C to Thunderbolt dongle to connect a Thunderbolt display? So what Matthew's talking about is the old like Thunderbolt 2 display, I believe. Okay. So the the answer in short is no, and we're going to get into the, the reasons why. So USB-C and Thunderbolt 3 are vastly different standards, despite Thunderbolt 3 using the <laughs> USB-C port and connector. So this is not the first time this has happened, like 2011, 2012, sometime in there. Apple started shipping Thunderbolt, and it used what was previously known as the mini display port connector. So you could have a MacBook Pro with a mini display port, or you could have a MacBook Pro with Thunderbolt, and the port looked the same. But of course they did uh, vastly different things. So it, it it's easy to think about like a list of uh, capabilities is how I like to think about this. So USB-C has a, a wide range of capabilities all over one connector. You have USB power delivery, which lets you charge things like a, a MacBook Pro just from a USB cable. Uh, USB power delivery is kind of its own can of worms, like one layer down, but it's what lets you uh, charge things uh, quickly over USB. It offers USB 3 for data transfers. It has video output and can be adapted to basically anything. DisplayPort, HDMI, DVI, VGA, et cetera, et cetera. So you can have, uh, if you have the right video adapter, you can you know connect to any display or or projector projection system, that sort of thing. Uh, it also offers Ethernet for data transfer, audio in and out. Uh, USB-C does a lot of stuff. And sort of the the idea with USB-C, and really kind of the, the pitch of it was, hey, we can just put one little port on your computer and that port can become whatever you need it to be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you bought a, a white MacBook in 2008, it had a bunch of ports down the side. They all did different things. Now you buy a MacBook, it just has a USB-C port and you can just adapt that port to whatever you need. That promise is great, and we could debate potentially about how effective it's been over the last several years as USB-C has come into the world. It does mean you need to buy adapters and dongles, but it gives you a lot of flexibility, which I think is is pretty cool. And you're seeing more and more stuff coming that just takes a single USB-C cable and puts it into a display, and then you have additional ports on the display, that sort of thing. Where Thunderbolt 3 comes in, Thunderbolt 3 has all that stuff, but it has a superset kind of above it. It also does 40 gigabit tr- uh, data transfers. Mm. And uh, that's four times faster than USB 3.1, which is uh, 10 gigabit per second. The way it can do this, the reason this works, is because Thunderbolt 3 is it's kind of like having uh, PCI Express over a cable. So if you had uh, uh, you know, a Mac Pro Tower back in the day or you have a, a desktop PC... PCI slots are what let you put in things like video cards and, you know, audio capture cards and RAID controllers, all these cards that slot into the to the motherboard, to the logic board. That's all using things like PCI and PCI Express. Thunderbolt 3 basically puts that over a cable. And what that means is you have crazy bandwidth. So you can hook up a Thunderbolt 3, you know, storage device. It's all SSD and it's way faster than USB ever could be because that pipe is so much wider it means that you can do uh, external GPUs over Thunderbolt 3. So an eGPU will work with a MacBook Pro or a MacBook Air because they both have Thunderbolt 3, 
but not a MacBook because it just has USB-C. So the big thing is Thunderbolt has way more bandwidth for way more stuff. Where this comes into displays is the number of pixels and the amount of information you need to put out to a display. So if you look, if you're in the Apple universe, the LG 4K, like the ultra fine, the 4K version is USB-C. USB-C has enough bandwidth to push that many pixels. And so you can use the LG 4K with an iPad Pro just out of the box with a USB-C cable. The 5K LG UltraFine is Thunderbolt 3. So you cannot use it with an iPad Pro. You cannot use it with a MacBook. Even though the displays look the same and the cable looks the same, except for the (laughs) tiny little logo on it, it's profoundly different. There are some USB-C 5K displays out there. there. There are only a couple of them. Again, the LG one is Thunderbolt. So you you run into this issue that if something requires Thunderbolt, USB-C will not do the job. Uh, if it's USB-C, of course, of course it will. So it's in all of this stuff, it's about kind of reading the fine print and and understanding exactly what you have and and how you can adapt to it. You know, again, like Thunderbolt 3 is just a superset on top of USB-C is the way that I think about it. It's more capable. It's more flexible. Uh, we'll have a couple links in the show notes that have some additional detail, but that that's sort of where we are. So you have like the safe bet is if you have a port that looks like that, you can do anything USB-C can do. And some stuff can do additional things with Thunderbolt 3. And like, I don't know about, about you, Micah. You know, I've got Thunderbolt 3 on my iMac Pro and my MacBook Pro. Mm-hmm. And I actually only use them as USB ports. I don't, I don't have any Thunderbolt three devices. Like my my storage array is a Drobo. It's hooked up to my new Mac Mini. It also has Thunderbolt three, but it's a Thunderbolt two device. So I'm mm-hmm. using that Thunderbolt three to Thunderbolt two adapter. But I'm not actually using anything Thunderbolt three natively yet. You know, if that Drobo ever kicks it, I guess I'll I'll upgrade to something that uses Thunderbolt three. But I'm not taking advantage of all this all this bandwidth I have at my fingertips because uh, I just don't have any accessories that that need it yet. Everything I'm using is is using USB C. Yeah, that's that's the same for me. I so first of all, I just like this that is very confusing, and you've done a very good job explaining the differences between these. And I'm just thinking of like somebody going into an Apple store and and saying, "Oh yeah, I want to get." Uh, I want to get the new iPad Pro and I heard I could connect it to a display. I want to get this one because it's got 5Ks instead of 4Ks. And the maybe the genius not knowing <laughs> that you can't use it with the five with a 5K display or something like that. It's oh, that's kind of frightening. Um, but yeah, I'm still using a MacBook Pro from mid. Yes, mid 2015. Um, and it has Thunderbolt 2. So I'm, uh, I I do use the Thunderbolt 2 because I've got an Elgato dock that is Thunderbolt 2, um, which connects to most of my, most of the stuff. But then I have, uh, a display port, um, going directly into the other Thunderbolt port. But yeah, uh, no USB-C and no Thunderbolt 3 devices <laughs> here. Um, but I don't, you know, if I did upgrade, then I would probably be using them for, like you said, uh, essentially USB right. ports. I think most people probably are. Again, unless you're doing something real high end. Because USB-C is plenty fast for almost anything, and it's way cheaper to implement. Like a Thunderbolt 
three, you know, external drive versus a USB-C external drive, the price difference is shocking. Yes. And, uh, and for me, I just don't need that much bandwidth for anything I'm using. So that may change at some point, you know, but for now, at least it sort of feels like I have all this potential that I'm, I'm, I'm failing USB, uh, USB-C and Thunderbolt three is what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm letting Thunderbolt down. Yeah. Thunderbolt's like, um, did you forget you have this turbo setting on your car and the car is like this really fancy thing and you're just using it to drive around the neighborhood. All right. So we're going to get into some, uh, some more questions, but first I want to tell you about our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by our brilliant friends over at Pingdom. Pingdom is brilliant because they help keep your sites and the sites that you love online. Pingdom monitors your site so you don't have to and gives you real-time feedback so you know exactly what's going on. You know, the internet's pretty awesome, but stuff just, it breaks all the time. In fact, Pingdom detects around 13 million outages every month. That's more than 400,000 outages a day. And it doesn't matter if you're a startup or Fortune 500 company. The outages come for all of us, Micah. That's what I'm saying. The outages, (laughs) they come for us all. And you need alerts about any critical website issues. They let you customize how you're alerted depending on the severity of the outage. So they'll track and analyze your website load times, and you can see what's affecting your user experience, and you can choose how Pingdom tells you about what's going on. If you have a site of any size, you need Pingdom. And they have a no-fuss approach to getting started. I really like this. All they need is the URL you want to monitor. And then they just take care of the rest. It's not a lot of complex sysadmin stuff you have to do. You just take your URL and put it in their system and you're good to go. So go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. When you sign up, use the code query at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and RelayFM. Speedrun time. All right, up first, Brian writes, can you recommend a good video editor that allows you to rotate video without letterboxing or watermarking? I don't mind if I have to pay. Well, I've got some good news for you. You don't have to pay, Brian. Um, Assuming, of course, that you're talking about a video editor on iOS, because there are plenty of options on uh, macOS to be able to rotate video. Um, You don't have to pay because iMovie is free, and iMovie lets you do this right on your iOS device. And in fact, you can do it right from the Photos app without even having to leave. So what you're going to do first is download iMovie if you don't already have it. Uh, Then you'll launch the Photos app and you'll head to the video of your choice. Um, Then you're going to tap the edit button in the top right corner of the screen. And then you're going to tap the extensions button. That's that circle with the ellipsis in the middle. Uh, From there, you'll tap iMovie. And then all you have to do is once the video loads, you just place two fingers on the screen and rotate to the right or to the left, depending on how you need your video to rotate. You can do it in 90 degree increments. And then you tap done and iMovie will edit that video file right in place to rotate the video to your desired uh, position. So it's super simple to do with iMovie right there on your iOS device. And you don't have to get any third-party apps or anything like that and don't have to worry about watermarking. It's really cool. And if you are on a Mac, you can just use QuickTime. Like, (laughs) just open in QuickTime, and under the edit menu, you can say rotate uh, clockwise or counterclockwise, and you're all set. Sweet. 
Super, super simple. Hope that mm-hmm. helps. Uh, so here's one for you. Chris writes, I work from home and on calls using my AirPods. This works perfectly until my wife starts to leave the house or arrives home. My phone connects to her car audio, blasting my call, putting me in a state of panic. Without unpairing, how can I stop this? Uh, I run into this too. So I've shown you before we hit record. I run into this if my wife um, moves, you know, my car and uh, the, you know, the phone's paired to it and our bedroom, like where it is, it's just in range of a car's Bluetooth. And so, you know, my phone will start playing a podcast in the car and then she's like, wait, what's happening? So the thing is, Bluetooth is just kind of a, it's kind of a silly thing. (laughs) As far as I know, there's no way to do this gracefully on the iOS side. I kind of wish iOS had an option to like remember the pairing, but like disable it somehow. But iOS doesn't have that. It's basically, can I connect to this device when it's available or can, or do I not know about it? It's sort of no in between. Some Bluetooth like car stereos do offer an option to turn off auto pairing or auto switching, which would keep your phone from connecting to the car audio unless she specifically goes into it and says, Hey, connect to. Uh, you know, connect to Chris's iPhone. Mm-hmm. And so that may be an option in your car. It may not be. It's definitely not universal, but that's worth looking at. You know, somewhere in the settings menu on your car uh, stereo, there may be uh, there may be some options for that. Uh, I know for me, at least in my wife's car, to avoid this exact thing, she has her phone paired via Bluetooth. And if I am driving it or we want to something on my phone, I just plug in via USB because her car offers both. So, uh, you know, if this isn't a car you don't drive in very often, that and this is really annoying, that may be an option as well, just to, to be unpaired from it and then use, you know, USB if that's available. But, yeah, this really, I wish there were better options for managing Bluetooth devices, but iOS just uh, is pretty straightforward in this regard. Yeah, uh, I think we all sort of lament the <laughs> the nonsense that is the, the Bluetooth yeah. <laughs> connection to whatever yeah. you don't want it. <laughs> the real answer, Chris, is to uh, put car, a CarPlay head unit in her car for her for Christmas. <laughs> and then she has to plug in and you'll be set. Um, all right. So uh, we're going to wrap this up with a question from Dan. And Dan has a, a question that I think all of us, all of us have been in this situation. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to stop my iOS device from randomly prompting me for my Apple ID password? It wouldn't be so bad, except the keyboard doesn't allow password autofill uh, and won't let me use my password manager. That's a huge bummer, Dan. I I actually had this last week uh, where I was uh, traveling and... All of a sudden, my iPhone XS Max wants my Apple ID password every every couple of minutes, and uh, it's super annoying. And I finally kind of got to go away. But uh, but Micah, are there some surefire ways to, <laughs> to solve this? Surefire? No. Um, so this, yeah, this is very annoying, and uh, another one of those things that I think we've all had to deal with. Uh, one of the things that I've taken to doing, um, I have continuity keyboard. Uh, set up, which is basically just the idea that if I copy something on my Mac or on an iPad, on, on any iOS device or macOS device, then I can paste it on another iOS device or macOS device. Unfortunately, that doesn't work 100% of the time, which is annoying. But when it does, I will just open up uh, my password manager, copy the password, and then I can paste it um, using 
you know, on, on the iOS device that's prompting for the password. Now, you're likely going to get this prompt after you update to the latest version of iOS. If you are one of the folks who, you know, likes to run betas, likes to use betas, um, then it's going to be an issue for you every time mm-hmm. you update to the latest <laughs> iOS beta. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like I don't, I don't want to uh, be calling you out right now, but also I got to call you out right now if that's the case. Cause that's certainly the case for me. I remember like, being annoyed so many times. And I thought, oh, that's probably because you're caught. Con- yeah, it's because you're constantly updating to the latest version of iOS. If you're not that, um, you can also get this prompt when you restart your device. So if you do, you know, the force restart um, handshake <laughs> for iPhone 10 devices and later, uh, then you may also get that prompt. Um, the prevailing wisdom seems to suggest that uh, the repetitive iOS prompting, so not just like after you've restarted or after you've installed an update, but if it keeps happening, it may be related to Wi-Fi, a bug that has to do with Wi-Fi. So you can try toggling on and off your Wi-Fi on your iOS device, and then also not not completely restarting, but just turning off and turning back on your iOS device. I know everyone hates to hear that. Have you tried turning it off and back on again uh, tip, but it genuinely seems to work if it is uh, an iOS prompting bug, as opposed to just, like I said, if you are going through a specific um one of the one of the reasons why it would be asking you again for your password. If it just keeps doing it even after you've put in your password, then that's where you know you're sort of facing an issue, and you can try one of those things. Uh, it's not fun, uh, <laughs> but it is something that uh, seems to happen enough to where there are plenty of people complaining about it all over the internet. It's such a long, outstanding iOS thing, right? Like uh, it just you know I've, I've had it on and off. For years, and mm-hmm. yeah, the, the the Wi-Fi toggle can do it, restarting can do it, and sometimes it just like seems to go away on its own. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like super a cold. frustrating. <laughs> it just seems to go away on its own. Uh, uh, on on macOS devices, um, clearing out your this is an odd thing, but I I discovered this uh, in iTunes. If you and that this doesn't happen as much anymore because of the App Store no longer being a part of iTunes on the Mac. But if you do get the prompt over and over and over in iTunes, clearing out your Safari cache like cookies and and all that jazz can help you uh, with with an iTunes prompting bug because whatever kind of um, thing, a cookie or what have you, sh- saves your, your password for iTunes is connected with Safari on the Mac. And so cleaning that out can, can help you fix that. You'll have to log in one more time, but then you shouldn't get the prompt as much anymore. So if you run into that issue on macOS, there seems to be more of a surefire way to handle that. Um, but not so much on iOS. It's one of those, well, let's uh, keep entering my password and hope this works. <laughs> Just uh, hit your iPhone with a hammer. It'll stop eventually. <laughs> Stick it in the microwave. All right. I think that is it for this week. If you want to find uh, links to stuff we've talked about, head over to the website, relay.fm slash query slash 44. If you have questions for the show, stuff that is just keeping you up at night, your iPhone just keeps asking for the same thing over and over. <laughs> uh, just tweet with the hashtag AskQuery and we'll, we will see it. Uh, in the meantime, you can find Micah on Twitter at Micah Sargent. And Micah is the co-host of a bunch of great shows, uh, Clockwise. 
here on Relay FM, and somehow I manage on the incomparable. Yeah, I'm talking about The Office, which is just my favorite TV show. And there's a podcast about it. it's wonderful. Go check it out. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ismh, and you can find me over at five twelve pixels dot net. Until our next episode, Micah, say goodbye. Goodbye. Adios.